guardian angels, and patron saints, pray, pray for us. us. Well, a blessed new year to all of you as we begin our new ecclesiastical calendar. The first Sunday of Advent, following quickly upon the heels of Christ the King, is uh, a, a, a signal to us to be attending to the rhythm, not of necessarily just the seasons of, of the natural world, nor of the the particular events of human history and civilization that we wish to commemorate, but, but to pay attention and to, to live by the rhythm of heaven. The calendar that we have in our, in our phones and on our desks and in our planners uh, is a certain form of human reckoning. It takes into account the, the rhythm of the natural changes of the year, but also the events of the past that are meant to be remembered, uh, the sacrifices of those who came before us. We have Veterans Day, Memorial Day, and Independence Day, President's Day, all these other civic holidays that pertain to our, our common and social and civic life, and they're important, right? We don't, we don't want to forget them. There's things that we must remember. But if we forget about the, the heavenly calendar, boy, boy, have we missed something important. The heavenly calendar commemorates, yes, the events of the past and causes us to remember them, above all, uh, the work of our Savior, but also the, the heroic figures, the saints, who have been so crucial in carrying and continuing that work as the hands and, and the feet and the eyes of, of the Lord, right? the, the church, carrying out her mission down through the centuries. And of course, Advent is the time in which we prepare for Christmas, which is... Jesus with us, right? God with us is what Christmas is all about. And so the heavenly calendar isn't just about the things that happened in the past, but the things that are happening now. God is with us. He's with us each time he descends to this altar and is distributed as food. It's not just about what God has done, but what God is doing and what God will do. And so Advent is a season of hope in which we look forward not only to his coming as, his, uh, as we celebrate the, the tiny little helpless infant that was our Savior for a little while, but also his second coming, his coming in glory. It's a hopeful time. Well, hope is a strange thing because we almost often discover what hope really means when we're, when we're in difficulty, when we're suffering. I was thinking about this Yesterday, I spent most of my morning at the Lansing Correctional Facility going through my training so that I can go and visit the prisoners there and bring, bring the sacraments. It's kind of where I picked up this, uh, this cough and, and cold or whatever it is I'm dealing with, so I won't be distributing communion to you all today, so don't, don't worry about that. I'll have uh, the extraordinary ministers of communion to distribute. But I was thinking about the last time I went to, to be kind of a prison chaplain. When I was first ordained at Most Pure Mary Parish, my first assignment in Topeka, I was uh, given the task of, of visiting the, the, the Topeka Correctional Facility, which is where all the women in the state of Kansas are incarcerated. Right? So if you're ever arrested and <laughs> given a prison sentence, that's where you'll go, ladies. <laughs> and I was able to spend some time there for several months, uh, actually several years. I would go about once a month. 
And let me tell you, uh, prison is not an easy place to to be. It's not an easy place to visit, uh, but it's really not an easy place to be. But it's a good place in many respects, at least in the lives of some of the, the women that I met and ministered. There's a lot of truth in prison. There's a lot of clarity. <laughs> and there's a lot of hope. As to the truth and clarity, you know, I mean, there's nothing like being yanked out of your life, yanked away from your kids, and thrown into a, a prison cell where there's a, lot of, there's a lot of crazy stuff, as you can imagine. There's a lot of hustling in prison. There's a lot of... There's a lot of insanity and violence. And so that's a huge disruption. But in a sense, it's full of truth because it it helps to to convey who's responsible for this. How did I get here? Whose fault is it? And there's a a way, of course, of, of continuing to perpetuate the deception that it's other people's fault. Maybe there are situations. But genuinely, most of the women that I ministered to were very clear. This is my fault. I'm the one responsible for being here. And while that was a difficult realization, it was also very good. Prison is a difficult place to be. The truth is often a difficult thing to embrace, but it's good. It's really good. It's way better than being deceived, continuing to labor under the conditions of deception and and darkness, of of clouded vision. And certainly that caused a lot of pain, right? That realization. Women feel that particularly intensely. I think the isolation of prison, not that men don't, but women feel it differently, especially mothers. Mothers. Nonetheless, there was great goodness and something like hope. I would say maybe even a deeper sense of hope than the one that you and I are accustomed to thinking about. We normally think of hope as being like, well, just keep at it. Things will get better. And that's a good attitude to maintain for, for most things, you know. But it's not, it's not going to get you through seven, a seven-year or ten-year prison sentence. <laughs> you, you need something deeper than that. You need something more powerful than that. To keep going. To truly believe that I'm actually not capable of getting better. That I'm actually responsible for bringing myself into a, one of the lowest points anyone could be. And I need someone to help me. I need someone who can really help. You know, the first reading from the book of Isaiah doesn't doesn't resonate with a lot of us. All of us have become like unclean people. All our good deeds are like polluted rags. We have all withered like leaves and our guilt carries us away like the wind. That doesn't resonate with a lot of us, I suspect. But it does if you're in prison. (laughs) But that's also where hope is found. You are our Father, Lord. We are the clay. And you're the potter. We're the work of your hands. Shape us. Shape me. Form me. 
claim me as your own. That's where hope is found. That all of this is not for nothing. That my suffering is actually redemptive. It has a purpose. You are my father and you are good. I go and visit the homebound in their, uh, in their homes. So often those who can't come to Mass uh, will request a visit. They can't come to Mass here with us because they're infirm or sick or they're in an institution. They can't find transportation. And often they're, they're pretty frustrated. They often feel really guilty about not being able to come to Mass. And that becomes a cycle where they don't feel like they can even call for a priest to come visit them. Well, I haven't been coming to Mass. Why should I have, why should I have a priest come visit me? I'm not a good Catholic. I'm not a good believer. Well, God doesn't ask the impossible. He doesn't require us to do things we can't, we can't do, that we don't have the power to carry out. And so when I go to visit them, I, I have to encourage them. You know, you can't be at the altar with us now, but this is your altar. And I point to their bed. This is your altar. You're the offering and the priest. You're offering yourself. And you're not just a forgotten leftover from our parish community. You may actually be the heart of our parish community because your daily prayer and your daily self-offering, right, without the distractions and the, all, the, all the responsibilities, may actually be more powerful in God's sight than those of us who are busy about many things. It's a Martha and Mary situation, Right? You can lay hold of the one thing necessary, even when you're sick, even when you're elderly, even when you're confined to a hospital bed. You can. That's why those times of illness and sickness and even long decline towards death are a great mercy. It's not something we should fear. It's something that we should accept and carry out with God's strength. Because that's where hope is found. That's where hope is found. And the parable that Jesus tells today are waiting for his return, his second coming, <clears throat> is like those of us who are each given a job within the Lord's house and that he will come back and hopefully find us awake, busy about his work. We've each been given our own work and that's true of the little ones, the young ones, no matter how young we are. And that's true of the elderly and the infirm, the sick. And that's true of everyone in between. If it's true of those who are, who are stuck in bed and can't, can't go about their business as they would like to, then how much more true is it of us? So as we go about our work, we do so not always aware of the way that the Lord has us positioned. It's not always clear what the purpose of our work is. But that's not necessary in order to carry it out well. When he does come, when he is revealed in glory as the judge of heaven and earth and as the king of all, we will see once and for all where our place was in that plan. Everyone what it was that the work that we have been given to do was to accomplish and how it fit into the plan. And together we will glorify, praise, and adore him, that divine artist, that master potter who has shaped us all 
into this glorious work, into this priestly people, into this royal kingdom, where he may be all in all. This Advent season, as we go about our work, preparing, waiting, eagerly looking forward in hope, may he give us a glimpse and may he draw us together in greater unity for his glory and the salvation of our souls. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.